0: Find love at first drive, and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax—the way car buying should be. Hello, and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Matt Harmon, and I'm lucky enough to be joined today by my colleague Scott Pianowski. Scott, I know today we're going to talk about a lot of different things, uh, We, you know, with among the myriad things to talk about right now in the sports world, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the schedule and what that means for fantasy. You wrote a great piece about that. We've also just got some random things that are on our mind, but Scott, before we jump into all of that, I think this is the first time I've been on the mic with you in, in a long
1: time. How are you doing, man? Great. Great. Um, you know, hanging in, going through what everybody's going through and, and trying to stay optimistic and, and hoping that we have... You know, a safe return to normalcy in a reasonable amount of time. I don't know when that will be. I don't know if we'll have a baseball season. I don't know if we'll have a full football season or a football season at all. But trying to stay positive, and I appreciate that the NFL has given us a new cycle. You know, they gave us free agency. They gave yeah. us a draft. They gave us a schedule release, and. Uh, I always appreciate those things, but I think I appreciate them more this year because we're just looking for things to do.
0: Yeah. You know, I I was talking to my dad today on the, on the phone and I was just telling him like, it's weird because in one way, like from a content perspective, we're not really like, nothing's really different right now from, from a football perspective. Like, I mean, it's, we're talking about games that should theoretically be happening in A few months from now we're all that's what we'd be doing in May anyways but it's just got this uh, weird I don't know if you feel the same way but it's got this weird twinge to me that like I think I said this on our best ball draft stream like everything feels like an extra layer of fantasy because just like everything in life right now it's like (laughs) is any of this is any of this real
1: no I hear you I mean it's um I I always joke when people say like this is the weirdest NFL season some point every October because I always like to say every season's weird in its own way but 2020 is obscenely weird in its own way. And uh, we don't really have anything to compare it to. So I don't know. I I don't, I don't really have a unique spin to this. I I just know that it's the, the steps are different and unfamiliar. And I, I'm just glad that we, we still get to talk about stuff like, you know, is, is Ben Roethlisberger somebody we can trust or, you know, the the Tom Brady story has been fun. I I still don't know. I look at the chargers roster. I see all this talent. I have no idea what to do with it. Um, You know, that's, that's my way of getting away from what's going on in the world, not not being ignoring what what's going on, but you know, I mean, sports are a great escape and and I need them right now.
0: Perfect. Well, let's jump into that escape. And and since you mentioned it, I this wasn't on our outline and we didn't talk about it, talking about it earlier, but I, I just want what I, cause I, I haven't heard from you. I don't know, but I know you're a Patriots fan and obviously I'm not going to have you rehash the Brady thing, but you look at this roster right now, like, I did, our, I did a piece where I graded every single offense in, in the league. And, I, I mean, it's not crazy to say that this is the worst offense on paper right now, I think. I, I, let me temperature take here. How do you feel about this team offensively right now?
1: Yeah, I would have given it a low grade. It's, it's hard to think of the offenses that are worse because even some offenses I don't like, like, say, Washington, they have a receiver I really like. Yeah. And Terry McLaurin, uh, we don't know who their quarterback is. The skill players are, are all... Everybody's asked, I think, kind of to play up a level on the depth chart. You know, Edelman's had a nice career, but he's in his mid-30s. Uh, they, the fact that they gave up a number two for Mohamed Sanu looks really strange right now. I don't know what they're going to do at tight end. They drafted a couple of young ones. We'll, we'll see if anybody pans out there. They just lost their offensive line coach, who was maybe the mm-hmm. greatest offensive line coach in, in history, Dante Scarnecchia. He's going to be a major loss. And I, I think this is, there's this theme going around that's a little frustrating to me, that, that Bill Belichick can fix anything and <laughs> – I know the famous 2008 season where Brady got hurt in the first game against Kansas City. They plug in Matt Castle, who didn't even really play at college. He'd just been in the building for three years. And they went 11-5, and, and and that's that's lovely. And, yes, Belichick's obviously an outstanding coach. But that team was 16-0 and 0 the previous season. It had peak Randy Moss on that team. You know, the last time I saw the Patriots, they were losing to Ryan Fitzpatrick and Ryan Tannehill. And they yep. were just an ordinary team, not, not a bad team. Bill Belichick's not going to coach a, a two and 14, 3 and thirteen team. There's there's too much talent there. But could this team go seven and nine or eight and eight? I sure I think so. Even six and ten, if if everything went wrong, I think their upside is maybe nine and seven, ten and six. And that's without really knowing if Stidham can play, without knowing if they'll bring in a Cam Newton. And if they do, who knows what what health uh, he's in right now? I'm pessimistic about the Patriots. Not that look, and people you just want to say, "Well, Belichick will figure it out." He didn't figure it out last year because they, you know, again, they lost to Ryan Fitzpatrick. They couldn't cover Devontae Parker in in Week 17, even with the Defensive Player of the Year draped on him for for most of that game. And and then they lost to Ryan Tannehill. I know Tannehill didn't play very well in that game. And the Titans were, look, they're a good team. They beat Baltimore the next week. But, um, you know, it's kind of funny. If if Tom Brady goes to Tampa and makes the playoffs and maybe wins the division and loses in the first round, you think you practically build a statue for Tom Brady for that in Tampa Bay. They haven't yeah. been in the playoffs, I think, since 2007. And that's what the Patriots just did. They won the division, lost in the first round. It's like, oh, down season, rebuild. What's going on here?
0: <laughs> I know. It's so funny. And I think it's really – it's a weird time for the whole Patriots – I mean the whole Bucks brady experiment because obviously like they don't have all that time to coalesce and like get together and get to know each other from like just a chemistry perspective. But – it does feel like there's a small section of people that kind of want to yada yada the fact that well brady wasn't very good in 2019 and you know this team was still pretty good anyways it's like yeah that's fine brady was definitely i mean he's well off what he used to be but i think there's a pretty strong chance that he's this version of tom brady might be better than whatever Jarrett stidham is which is a total unknown so i i don't know I i think you're i think you're right about being pessimistic i'm pretty pessimistic too
1: I think Brady actually fit last year's team reasonably well in the sense that it was such a good defensive team and to have a quarterback who was avoiding negative plays, not taking yes. sacks, not turning the ball over, it, it fit that offense. They didn't need Brady to put up 30 points a week. And I guess where Tampa is coming from, I mean, obviously Winston was was a fun carnival ride and I enjoyed every Tampa Bay game immensely and I'm going to miss Jameis <laughs> Winston. Uh, you know, you would think presumably he won't play in New Orleans unless Drew Brees gets hurt, but they need somebody to protect the ball and maybe manage the game, and, and you know, of course they have some great skill players. We'll see how quickly he can connect with them. This kind of ties into something I want to ask you about, Matt. Which is, which I'm, I'm having trouble with this as I'm, I'm starting to get into my early rankings. I've drafted a few times and continuity. We talked about this some in the uh, in the best ball live stream that we did. When I look at a player like DeAndre Hopkins, who's a terrific player, for some reason Bill O'Brien wanted to run him out of town. I guess there were some conflicts there. They they give him away pretty cheaply he goes to Arizona so you know Hopkins is gonna be good anywhere but I right. tend to get nervous when receivers change teams and now there's a team change where I don't know how much they're going to be able to work out together I mean, I'm sure they're Skyping or they're Zooming or they're doing whatever they're, they can do they're talking I'm sure he's got the playbook by now and all that but how much does continuity matter I mean are you worried about Hopkins that's again not that DeAndre Hopkins will ever be a bad player this is like I I hate DeAndre Hopkins it's nothing to do with that But I wish in a perfect world he'd already be running passes, pass routes with Kyler Murray. I got to figure he's not doing that. I mean, how much does that affect where we rank a guy like Hopkins? And do we have to lean on continuity as our best friend as we get ready for the new season? Well, I think it's all about like
0: tiebreakers, right? You know, and I think that if you have a group of guys that are, you know, bunched up at the top that you think are like tier one receivers. I think you could break ties in favor of guys that have continuity over guys that don't. And I, I mean, I, I think specifically like a guy like Devontae Adams, who has mm-hmm. as good of an outlook as anybody this year and has complete you know familiarity with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has complete familiarity with him, which I think helps a lot, given that the rest of the guys are kind of are a mercurial bunch there on that Green Bay depth chart. And I think, yeah, it's it's such a bummer what you know among many things that are a bummer about what's going on right now because i remember talking to deandre hopkins at the super bowl and you know i asked him the thing about and i I guess you could make this argument in as a point in favor of hopkins but he i asked him you're so good like with every quarterback that you've played with you know this guy pretty much made his name by being a good player productive, despite the fact that he's playing with like Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett and all these goofballs that ran out. Brock Osweiler. Yeah. Brock Osweiler, TJ Yates, like all these goofballs that the Texans would run out at quarterback. And he was still a guy that, you know, was really productive in fantasy as, as much as I think of a player like, you know, Antonio Brown is like one of the best, I think he's one of the best wide receivers to ever play, but when Ben Roethlisberger would not be out there, it wasn't the same sort of statistical production for Antonio Brown or other play- Like There's plenty of guys you could give that example for, but DeAndre Hopkins goes out there and plays and puts up big numbers no matter who's behind center. I asked him, what's the key to that? And here's where I think it's kind of like maybe not such a point in his favor. He says he would make it a point to get you know, become like every quarterback's best friend, you know, like with this guy all the time, hanging out with this guy all the time, finding out what makes him tick on the field, off the field, just mentally, physically, all that type of stuff, getting to know. And it, the way he described it, it seems like, I mean, it really is something that he prides himself on doing, but to your point, like, can you really do that from a digital perspective? You know, can you have that sort of communal experience when you're not in the same room with a guy and I, I just don't know. So I, I think – where did you end up having him slotted in your wide receiver ranks? So. Well, I,
1: I have him right now at wide receiver five, and it feels gross because yeah. I, I know how talented he is. I mean, I guess the question is can you have – we always joke about when players are were college teammates, you know, the shower narrative. I think Adam shower, Levitan yeah. came up with that. Yeah. Can you have the shower narrative uh, remotely? Can, can you have it in the digital world? I'm not sure. You mentioned Adams, <laughs> and – I feel like Adams is, is is like there's a very exclusive club of teammates that Aaron Rodgers clicks with. And Adams is in that club. And I feel like maybe 30 to 40 of, percent of Lazard is in that club, and like maybe nobody else on the Packers offense, as far as the wide receivers are concerned, is in that club. And one reason why I'm drafting Adams above Hopkins, and I feel like that's probably a consensus opinion right now. That's not even a bold take anymore. Yeah. Is I can just see imagine a very re- reasonable outcome for Adams, where he has like some silly amount of targets, like 195 targets yep. or 200 targets or something like that. And when I think of the air raid offense in Arizona, as much as they, they love to add an alpha in Hopkins, I feel like a lot of these concepts in that offense are we're going to take a matchup that we like. We're going to take a guy who, you know, our, our favorite receiver is going to be the guy who can win his matchup, is, is being covered by the weakest defender, where a lot of Green Bay players are going to be like, okay, where's Adams? I'm throwing him the ball. He's covered. Fine. I'm throwing him the ball anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, right now, just in consensus rankings over at fantasy pros, like Hopkins is wide receiver five. And I think that's I think it's pretty reasonable because you look at the guys ahead of him on the list. Like and we're talking about continuity, Michael Thomas, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones. Like those guys have played with their respective quarterbacks for years and years and years and years. They're on the same team uh they they have that familiarity none of them are bad quarterbacks by any means either so and i think kyler murray's going to be i think he's going to be incredible like i think when you watch him play last year he's one of the most like you know people throw around the term arm talent uh i'm like i don't know what the hell that means but whatever the hell it is kyler murray has it it's one of those things and i think he's going to be great but he's probably not again it's that continuity thing so i, I don't think it's like Completely unreasonable at all, and I do think it's a, a good little tiebreaker.
1: I mean, you think about not that anybody needs to be talked into Michael Thomas, but one quarterback, one head coach, one offensive coordinator. Tyreek Hill's entire career has been tied to Andy Reid. Julio ah, Jones has been with Matt Ryan his entire career. You know, Adams and Rogers have been joined at the hip. Although one, one another point in Adams's favor is that when Rogers has been hurt, Adams has still been really good. I yeah. don't know if, if everybody always you know thinks of that. I mean, because their quarterback play hasn't been good but Adams has continued to get his. So I I just love knowing that somebody you look at it's always fun to look at the offensive coordinator list in the NFL and you see almost every team tur- has turned over their coordinator in the last two or three years except for the Patriots and the Saints and the I guess I think third or fourth on the list of continuity with coordinator is Kyle Shanahan who's the de facto offensive coordinator in San Francisco. That's how often that position gets turned over because once somebody shows that they're a really good coordinator, somebody wants to give them a head coaching job yep. and they end up changing teams. So what an advantage when you've only been in one system, your whole career, and you can say, okay, these are the same guys. I already, I already know we're, we're all broken in. We know what a meeting feels like. We know what a practice feels like. We know what, you know, the audibles, whatever it is. Uh, I, just a huge event. Again, these guys are all, all the guys we named are going to go in the first 15 picks or so of most drafts. Anyway, it's not like I'm breaking any news that Tyree kills the guy you want, but With Adams, do you think it's crazy to pick him over uh, Thomas? Would you consider doing that in any draft?
0: I don't think it's crazy at all. Uh, I wrote a piece today that I mentioned to you earlier. Like last year I had Devontae Adams as my wide receiver one overall and Alvin Kamara as my running back one overall. And also I thought he should be the first pick in every draft. Well, obviously those takes were – Wrong, right? Like within within our our way of saying things were wrong in fantasy football because both those guys got injured. Uh, also, despite the fact that they're both like prolific touchdown scores, both of them had long spells last year. Where it's like, why can't Adams find the end zone? Why can't Camara find the end zone? And maybe some of that is health, but I think when you look at it from like an on paper perspective. The logic that I used last year to get to those opinions, you can make the exact same case this year about like we know they're elite players and they're in awesome situations and they're in line for a ton of opportunity. And specifically in Adam's case, like obviously, like no one's going to. No one's going to talk down on Michael Thomas. I love the player, and I think he's obviously a threat to lead the NFL in targets too. After completely crushing it last year, but you just look at what's on the Saints roster. You've got Jared Cook. They bring in Manny Sanders. Kamara is a receiving threat. And Green Bay, I mean, it's like we said, it's Adams, and then is maybe Lazard in that circle of trust? I think he's if he's in it, he's on the he's can get pushed out at any second. And then you've got Funchess. And, you know, MVS is back in the picture. Sure. Uh, Sternberger, the tight end is unproven. Um, That's it's it's rough out there. So, no, I don't I don't think it's crazy at all. And it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if Adams has the type of season that Thomas had last year.
1: And the other thing with Adams for me is it's not just that he could get a ton of targets. And he could get a ton of Aaron Rodgers targets, which I think are still good targets to get. They're not peak Aaron Rodgers targets. He's yeah. not you know, one of the MVP favorites anymore. But another thing about Adams that I think sometimes is lost in the shuffle here is that he had three outstanding touchdown seasons before last year. Yes. And we've gotten smarter about touchdowns in the point that we understand now touchdown variance. We understand that like the touchdown rate that Lamar Jackson had last year was un- is unlikely to repeat just like the touchdown rate that pat mahomes had two years ago was unlikely to repeat last year you know peyton manning's great touchdown seasons brady whoever you dan marino that's just the way math works but i think sometimes the message gets lost where the regression it it doesn't mean that lamar jackson can't be great or mahomes can't be great in the case of adams there's a reason why he scores touchdowns it's it's a comfort level it's uh it's the fact that he can win when he's covered he knows how to some players are really good around the boundaries. That's actually something that Hopkins is outstanding at, too. I think Adams is a very good boundary receiver. We know he doesn't have great speed. He's not likely to, to score a lot of long touchdowns, but he can score a lot of touchdowns in contested areas. And you look at his touchdown count, and you have I think that actually reflects the skills that he has. And yeah. I'm not looking to argue those skills away i mean you know, maybe you know, if, he, if he hit the high range of his touchdowns say he had a 17 or 18 touchdown season this year of course next year we wouldn't project him for 17 or 18 again we would regress that down to 9 or 11 or 10 or whatever it would be but i think there's actually a reason there's a skill that he has or a bunch of skills that he has that contribute to him being dynamic as a touchdown guy and while we've gotten smarter about understanding the variance of touchdown ranges I think we have to understand also there's a reason why some guys might score 10 to 12 touchdowns in a season or might be in their expected range. And other guys, it might be like, okay, five to seven.
0: Yeah, just to put that down, uh, because I had this in the article today into like a numerical sense, Adams scored 35 times in his three years prior to 2019. That was scoring on on 8.6% of his targets. And then obviously he scores five times last year, which was just 3.9% of his targets. So that swing that you mentioned can easily come back towards like a pretty, like, stable – 8.6 is great, but that's pretty stable over the course of three years, you know? Like, obviously, there are some times where it's higher than the other, and I think if we swing back, maybe not completely to over 8%, but you're looking maybe more at 6, 7, something like that. Like you said, that swing, that variance is going to come back, I think, in some way. And it's the same – again, it's the same case with Kamara, too, who scored 31 times. Rushing and receiving over his first two seasons. That's every six point or on 6.5% of his touches. And then he found the end zone just five times as well last year. That was 2.3% of his touches. So both of these guys, I think it's the same case for both of them, which is they're proven touchdown scores and maybe in a sense that was unsustainable at certain times. But I think Kamara, just like Adams, has skills that make him a threat to score a bunch of touchdowns. Um, and and I I totally agree with your logic on Adams. It's not just that he's great; he's a great boundary receiver. He catches when he's covered. He also gets off the line of scrimmage like that, separates verse press extremely well, which is important in the red zone as well.
1: Just to put a bow on Adams, and again, look, I realize I'm I'm trying to talk you into a guy who's probably consensus receiver two or receiver three <laughs> everywhere. So yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm here to save you because you weren't going to take Devontae Adams, and now maybe you will, but. I like that last year when he wasn't playing well, he had an excused absence because he was hurt. Mm-hmm. And then he actually came back. It was destroying secondaries, destroying yeah. defensive backs in the second half of the season. So I can give him a pass for his off season. And the last time I saw Devonte Adams, he was playing dynamite football.
0: All right, perfect. Well, we've, I think we've convinced people to take uh Devante Adams over Deandre Hopkins, which was, they were probably already doing. Uh, so, You had a couple of offenses that you mentioned to me that you're struggling right now in terms of what to think about them. Let's start with the L.A. Chargers because I I think this is such a fascinating team to discuss.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you look at what's happened. Rivers is gone. Uh, They finally, the running back logjam has kind of been thinned out because Gordon went to Denver. So you think, oh, great, Austin Eckler, you had a monster season. Let's keep rolling with that. But is Tyrod Taylor the type of guy who's going to check down to Eckler? And there's all this talk. I, I know we have to listen you know, with like 25% of our ears whenever coaches or organizations say anything. But they're talking about Eckler maybe being part of a committee. Taylor, you know, Taylor's a, a great backup. He's a great guy I'd love to have on my team if I didn't need him to start. And, of course, they're going to at some point probably transition to, to Herbert, their rookie quarterback. So I don't know how Taylor's skills are going to match up with Eckler. I don't know if they want to pull back from Eckler somewhat. I don't know what this does for Keenan Allen, another guy who never seems to get the touchdown count that that he expects. The Chargers, to me, are like – they're a team that's always on their, right, their way, but they never arrive. I always see this talent on this team – I remember for years they've been famous for just losing games in, in macabre ways, and they seem to have a major injury right before the season, whether it's a defensive player or an offensive player. Hunter Henry's been hurt most of his career. They have a lot of uh, defensive players who are stars who have been hurt. I feel like this is a roster. If, if they ever got injury luck, they could go 12-4 and four in a season. But right now, I don't like their starting quarterback. I'm not really sure if I really like Herbert as a prospect at all, and, and I, you know he'll probably play, you would think, what, a third of the season, half the season? All sorts of offensive talent I'm interested in. Mike, Mike Williams is a talented player, yeah. and I don't know where to draft them. And I find myself, when I get to those ties in my early best ball drafts, and I get to somebody or a charger, I find myself taking the non-charger. Is that crazy?
0: No, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the wide receiver list right now because Keenan Allen was a guy that I think I still ranked pretty high, but, like, not confidently, you know? I mean, and in, in terms of consensus rankings, he's, like, wide receiver 22, which seems insane, right? Like, I, I don't know that... That's quite that's quite a tumble to take, you know. I don't I don't know if I feel totally comfortable with some of the guys that are going ahead of him, but you you know you mentioned it. Like I like Tyrod Taylor a lot. I liked him as a as a prospect when he was like a potential starting quarterback for the Bills. I remember I will always say that uh, maybe this is like a, a back pat. I don't know, but I remember telling uh, NFL Network uh one of the guys who works there patrick crawley he's a huge bills fan he runs like the he, at the time he was running like the programming you know like getting people on the home page that type of stuff running the site together uh, and i was he's a huge bills fan and i kept telling him because i was from virginia my sister went to virginia tech i was like Taylor taylor's gonna be your starting quarterback at some point like let me just tell you that's gonna happen and he was like no way t- t- this guy is no good whatever And they got a couple good years out of Tyrod. So I I will always, like, be thankful that at least Tyrod proved me right in that way. But, I mean, I think he's a good – he's a really good fantasy quarterback because he runs. We know that. And, like, this collection of talent, I'm with you, is really good. It's just hard to see, like – if there's one if there's one argument you can make in favor of Tyrod, it's that it, it's that continuity like like we mentioned. I mean he wasn't the starting quarterback last year, but he was there and he has a ton of familiarity with the head coach Anthony Lynn, who obviously was in Buffalo with him for a time too.
1: How many catches do you think is what's the range of outcome for uh, catches for Eckler this year? do you think?
0: <sighs> I'm just like so high on Eckler and I think like, I feel like I could be I could be totally proven wrong. Um, because as you mentioned, like the, 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 the mobile quarterbacks don't get to that check down option, like other quarterbacks do, because if the first reads not there, the second reads not there, they might already be gone by the time you get to that second read. And, you know, rarely is the check down running back going to be that quickly in the, in the progression. But I think he's just such like an explosive talent. And this team also still has a ton of offensive line issues too. I know that they've spent some resources in free agency and in a trade with the Carolina Panthers to get Trey Turner to beef up the right side of it. But you still look at that left side of the line and it's pretty ghastly. So I feel like, I feel like we could easily still see somewhere between like 60 and 70. And I think that's probably, um, I think that's probably enough to still make him a top 12 running back.
1: And to be fair to Eckler, a couple of things. One, I mean, you know, a really high catch rate, a really high yards, Per reception, just a really high success rate whenever he was used as a receiver. And when you have a guy with his skill set, it's it's not just dump-offs, it's not just, okay, the play didn't work, where's Eckler? You're going to run plays that are designed for him. You're you're gonna run screens, you're gonna run play, you know, extended handoffs that go down as passes. I mean, that's gonna be part of your playbook. It's it's not just a a secondary option, it's gonna be a primary option. And they actually threw the ball a lot to Gordon. I mean, Gordon only played three quarters of the season. I mean, he he took up he absorbed 55 targets and caught 42 passes those are funneled back into the offense somewhere so yeah i, I guess uh, i'm talking to you i guess i'm talking myself back into eckler i guess right now i'd project him probably for 80 catches and i would think if everything went well and he played a full season maybe he could be in the neighborhood of La- i mean look you don't expect running backs to have 993 receiving yards and eight touchdowns although i guess with eckler you just have to think of his receiving production is like maybe what our, a typical running back would do and then his his rushing production is what a really good pass catcher might do. I mean, you just have to kind of flip him. The yeah, point is he's getting 1,500 5, yards last year. Now, I guess after talking to you, I'm more likely to take Eckler than, than maybe I might have been uh, 30 minutes ago. The funny thing with Allen, isn't it funny how it's like, oh, Keenan Allen, can't draft him, he's always hurt. Well, he's played 16 games three yeah. seasons in a yeah. row. So, you know, I, I, a lot of times people – I don't like the draft guys who are already hurt. That's a different thing. Yeah, totally. I, I'm not going to be proactive about that. But in the case of Allen, I think he had this tag thrown on him that was totally unfair, and it's kind of nice that he smashed it over the last three seasons. Just another
0: point on the Eckler thing too. Um, I think he took over 20 percent of his snaps in the slot last year, so that makes sort of that that's going to help a lot. And also, he's a he's the guy who uh, I I had a, I shot a video with. Right before all the, all this pandemic stuff back when gyms were a thing, uh, we did a little workout together and I was telling him about, you know, he's asked me like, how did you end up like work writing about football for a living? And I was telling him a little bit about reception perception and like charting routes. And he said, oh, well, what is like, what does mine look like? I said, well, you're a running back. I, I only do wide receivers. And he was. He does not he did not like that? <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a super nice guy. He wasn't mean about it or anything, but he like, "What do you mean? I'm out there running routes. Like I'm out there getting design targets. Like I'm not I'm not just one of these little dump off running backs." Like he's like, "You got to chart. You got to start charting some running backs." And I said, "Well, you got to start getting me uh more hours in the day and more money in the bank account if I'm gonna start doing all that more work, my man." But to the point that this is a guy that's gonna be doing more than just getting checkdowns and everything like that. I, I, I I'm really high on Eckler, and I think that. I think he's just the perfect type of back for the modern NFL tie rod or not.
1: I love everything about that Eckler story. And I always feel like a part, an underrated part of greatness in any discipline is intellectual curiosity. And I get from that story, not only is it great that he, you know, actually cared to ask a question about you and find out about Matt Harmon, but it tells me that this guy's intellectually curious. He wants to know more. I mean, we see a lot of times in baseball that, some of the best pitchers are the guys who have embraced the new metrics. You know, you Darvish wants to understand I'm throwing eight pitches. What's going on here? Okay. If I throw these three or four pitches, maybe I can be more effective. And he had a great second half last year. That your story tells, it makes me want to draft Eckler even more because I get the idea that there's a intelligence to him off the field. That's going to translate really well when he's on the field. Yeah.
0: Uh, the only guy that I'm convinced, like watched a, a show that I was in with him. Also the only player I've seen in my entire time drive himself to his interview. <laughs> Cause I walked back with him to his car and talked about a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, d- a total, total stud. Like I agree. Like, I know it seems sort of like people are weird about this stuff. Cause it's like narrative or whatever, but you just get a sense from somebody like, ah, oh, this is gonna be tough for this guy to fail. And like, I mean, damn, he's already like, you know, succeeded, beating the odds. One other thing from that interview, he told me that he's like, I had an entire other job lined up, you know, like my junior year of college, uh, you know, he, with like an energy company, this whole other thing, whole other life. And then his coach said, Hey man, like you might have a chance of making it to the league if you work really hard in your like last year of college. And I mean, obviously now he's a guy we're sitting here talking about drafting among the top 12 backs in fantasy or something. So yeah, I mean, guys, a total stud. Um, next let's transition to uh, another offense that you had some questions about and I agree with this one I think like I'm still pretty high on all of these chargers uh, and I think if I squint at it I can get excited about the Steelers but I think it takes some effort to get there
1: I mean first of all I mean Roethlisberger into an age 38 season I I almost feel like if you could tell me Roethlisberger was any age right now and I would believe it and and <laughs> man we saw that they were not i don't think most teams are prepared to have their backup quarterback play maybe, maybe the saints are prepared this year but they they certainly weren't with with Hodges and Rudolph and, and it's funny, you know the steelers still felt like they had like seven primetime games that i had to watch them oh, play That's so and,
0: awful and they would have been one of these teams Scott, by the way if like this this new playoff rule like they would have been the other right. afc team and i was like i was so thankful that they did not make it to the postseason last year it was the the bills got the last spot over them and i was like oh god damn thank you like i don't need to see any more of duck hodges or mason rudolph but by the way those are their backup quarterbacks again this year like they didn't do anything to address that spot so all these questions we have it that is also has to be part of the answer
1: yeah it's funny i mean it's i always feel like it's kind of hard to have a good backup quarterback because you don't want you need to know who your starter is, and you need to know who your backup is. I think maybe if Andy Dalton would have been open to going there, maybe he would have been a good backup for them. Somebody, it's kind of like that donut in the back of your car that you can drive it for a hundred miles, two hundred miles, but you can't you can't live on it. You have to eventually yeah. replace it. Last year, I was proactively drafting all the James Connor and all the Juju. I, I had a bunch of shares of both of those guys, and and I'm just looking at their page right now. I I guess Connor played ten games. Man, I I would have guessed it was like five or six. And Juju played twelve, but I, he was never healthy. And of course, the, the, the Steelers, being the Steelers, I mean, they always seem to, to draft good young receivers. And you know, and Johnson and Washington both had really good age twenty three seasons. So now I'm like, I don't know where is at. I don't really know what to do about Connor. Although I like the fact that they didn't really draft over him. I know they took somebody in yep, the fourth round, surprising. but they didn't prioritize a running back in the draft. So I, I guess they're, they're going back into Connor as being their priority guy. I mean, I, I loved everything about Juju a year ago. But now, I guess, here's the thing. If you're not sold on the quarterback, and it's not that I think Roethlisberger will be a bad player, but I think he's, he's an attrition guy. It's a guy I expect to not play a full season. He hasn't always been in, in, in maybe in the best of shape in, in different seasons. If I can't be sold on Roethlisberger isolated, it has to make me nervous about drafting the pieces that have to graft on him to get value.
0: Oh, I totally agree. Like, if this was Ben Roethlisberger, you know, even despite the advanced age, you know, coming off, like, not coming off a major injury, I think that you would look at this skill position group and be like, okay, this is pretty nice. Because I've never been, like, I don't think Juju Smith-Schuster is a number one receiver. But at the same time, like, you can't take victory laps off what happened last year. Because, Mm -hmm. like, you got to throw everything out. Because not only was he not healthy, he's not dealing with the number one quarterback. Like, He's another guy. We're talking about a lot of guys that I've I've recently talked to, which is nice. But uh, I remember talking to Juju a couple months ago too, and like you know, he he will openly tell you that he struggled on his own right, just being asked to do more in the absence of Antonio Brown. But I think the good news for him is that like James Washington and Deontay Johnson did emerge. Like those are two guys that you can throw on the outside and feel okay about. Like those are some good young receivers, and Chase Claypool too that they draft this year is another guy that can be, like, a big outside vertical threat. Like, there are, isn't a situation, I think, where you're going to ask Juju to go and do what what I still think he's not, which is a guy that's going to go out and beat press man coverage on a routine basis on the outside. Like, he can operate in that role in which he is so good at, at doing, and I think that's great. It's just, like you said, I have questions about the quarterback, and I don't know how that all coalesces with, again, a, a guy in Roethlisberger who – hasn't really worked with anyone besides Juju in this receiver core because he was hurt all last year when Johnson was a rookie and James Washington wasn't really playing, certainly was not playing well and wasn't playing all that much in his rookie season two years ago.
1: Now, how do you, when you do your reception, perception stuff and the quarterback's different, does that make you, how skeptical do you have to be on the results? I mean, you know, you look at Juju, what he did last year from just the raw counting stats, and how he graded in your metrics, but obviously he wasn't playing with the quarterback we expected him to play with. How do we reconcile? What do we do with that data? So
0: what I've noticed is that it doesn't really change all that much. Like route running and creating separation is pretty just, if you want to just look at my metrics and what I collect, they're pretty stable year over year. Like I think one thing that you learn about that, like it did occur to me last year that by spending so much time with, Wide receivers, I'm inherently spending so much time with quarterbacks too, because like there is just, there's in, in, in any way that you learn a lot about the quarterback based on the wide receiver that he likes. And I always come back to the Cooper Cup Jared Goff relationship because like it's clear that Goff likes having Cooper Cup around. And like, why does he like that? Is it something about the role? Is it something about the player? And what does that tell you about the quarterback? And that's a, an entirely separate conversation, but. The, to, to essentially to answer the question, like there's not really a big change. There's almost no change year over year between when guys are working with a different quarterback. But I think that only then speaks to how much more sure we can be about who wide receivers are, you know? And I think that, I mean, that, look, that was the goal with reception perception. I think six to seven years into it now, I, I can feel pretty confident in saying like it is a good tool to isolate wide receiver play from quarterback play, which Again, it was, that was the hope, uh, so we can call that as it is.
1: And that that's the golden goose of football in the idea that, I mean, again, compare it to baseball where almost everything everybody does on a baseball field is isolated. Yeah. You know, when the pitcher throws throws his curveball, I mean, yeah, I, I know the, you know, maybe, maybe the catcher calls the right pitch or frames or whatever, but pretty much everything done in baseball is isolated. It's a one-on-one action. And one of the hardest things about football is you can't get away from the fact that, you know, if the left guard blows his block, the whole plate – is screwed up or if the wrong play is called or if the quarterback does an audible or also a million different things can happen that can make a play successful or not successful but i love the fact that your what your methodology is is let's isolate this and just take the receiver on his own where nobody's helping juju smith schuster beat this press coverage either he beats it or he doesn't and that doesn't have anything to do with who the quarterback is so you know i I tip my cap to you i can't imagine how many hours you have to put in to actually (laughs) grade all these guys but um, uh, you know, when you actually sleep, but um, it's it's just cool that we have this stuff now because, you know, we we certainly didn't have it 15 years ago.
0: Ask ask uh, ask my girlfriend how many hours it takes, and uh, which is, where are you ever going to pay attention to me again? <laughs> I at the end of the month for sure. Um, it's it's a lot, but I mean, yeah, like you said, there everything that that was the inspiration for the series was like everything that a wide receiver puts on the stat sheet so many things have to go right just to get that one catch and that one yard and really the only thing that they can control is running routes creating separation on their own and sometimes you can and then you get to but then you get to the fun part about guys who get schemed open and everything like that but yeah that's the one thing i think a wide receiver can uh, control but uh you you mentioned James Conner and that's a guy that i struggle with too because i just like if we're saying that we're okay drafting these injured players or guys who have had injury troubles, it's hard to argue that his outlook on a on paper perspective doesn't look really good right now.
1: I really liked him two years ago, and he, he can play in all packages. And you know, it's it always encouraging to me how they just were fine when Le'Veon Bell didn't want to play. They're like eh, we really like James Conner, and now I'm just looking at this offense now, and it's like you know, yeah, I know is older than than the Bible, but. <laughs> all all of their three primary receivers not counting claypool but the other three guys are all into their age 24 seasons what claypool's 21 or 22 connor's into his age 25 season i mean man if roethlisberger can have a good year and and, and look i know counting stats can lie to you he was the quarterback three two years ago he had a strong season in in 2018 i think i'm talking myself into maybe pittsburgh challenging for the division title i If Roethlisberger's good, man, I feel like there's a lot of good pieces around him. Because their defense is good, too. Like, that's one thing we definitely
0: definitely have to make a note of that. Um, Let's talk about two other offenses before we do just a quick uh, run around on the schedule. Because I know our producer, Raghu, shout out to Raghu. He found this tweet of yours. You mentioned that the Chiefs could barely get Mecole Hardman on the field, and yet he still had touchdowns of 21, 30, 42, 48, 63, 83, and 104 yards as a rookie working with 41 freaking targets. Um, this is an interesting situation, in obviously, in Kansas City because we know about Tyree Kill. We know about Travis Kelsey. Uh, we know that they have uh, QB Jesus himself in Patrick Mahomes. They draft a rookie running back. I mean, are we – like? What's the deal with Sammy Watkins? Uh, we've got Nicole Hardman. What are what are we doing with guys beyond the obvious in Kansas City?
1: The frustrating thing for me with Hardman is that I, I all last year I was thinking I can't wait until 2020 yep. when Watkins is in here and when Hardman you know steps into a much bigger role. Watkins was excellent in the play. I, I, I've been a critic of, of Watkins for a while, but look, two things are on. Un- Unavoidable. One, he was excellent in the playoffs, all three games. And two, there's actually a lot of stats that point to him being on the field helps the Chiefs a lot, even when he's not producing himself. And so I have to accept that maybe there's a value to Watkins that doesn't directly correlate to his bottom line. Now, of course, you know any offense that has Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Hill and and Kelsey, I mean, man, they're just at the top of their professions. So I mean, the other guy, the fact that they even have talent past those four people is just unfair. Um, but I get the idea Hardman. I, I know this is a very cop-out type of thing for a fantasy analyst to say. I'm going to scoop up a lot of Hardman in best ball, and I'm going to be nervous to draft him in seasonal because I just don't think he's going to get enough of a projectable volume floor to play him week to week, at least until some, maybe somebody got hurt or something like that, something changed in Kansas City. And also, it's, it's funny. I love mentioning the distance of his touchdowns and the fact that he had all those explosive splash plays on such a limited opportunity. That speaks to how dangerous he is, but it's also just a really hard thing to replicate year over year. Those shot plays fail a lot, no matter how well they're called and and, and how great your quarterback is and how great your coach is and how fast Hardman is. Those are all wonderful things, but he, he could go down to two or three touchdowns, no fault of his own because it's just hard to throw a 60 yard touchdown pass. It's hard to live that way. So, I feel like there's going to be a day where we can draft Hardman really proactively and he'll be a fun player. Maybe a a Deshaun Jackson type of player at his peak. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be 2020.
0: I agree with you. Like I felt like three months ago, I was almost certainly going to be saying like, Oh yeah, this guy Hardman's like the guy to get in the late rounds or whatever. Like let's hype this guy up to the point where nobody wants to draft him because he has been priced up too high. But like the Watkins thing is interesting because like I've been I've been critical of Watkins too throughout his career when he was like very well thought of. Like I've always thought he was kind of an overrated player, but he's not a like he's not garbage out there. You know, he's not just out there sucking wind or whatever. You know, this is I mean, he's he's great when he's like your third or fourth threat in the offense, which I mean he will certainly be for the Chiefs this year, depending on how well Clyde Edwards Hilaire comes along as a pass catcher. Like that's a pretty good situation to be in when Sammy Watkins is like your three or your four. You just don't ever want him to be like he was for parts of this season when he was like their or last season when he was their number two or their number one receiver. So that that can be problemat- problematic. But I really I really like the fact that he's he's back in the mix there. It's just kind of a bummer for. Obviously for, for the Hardman train But I think there's a day when we're definitely going to be drafting him ex- Like super aggressively Where are you at in terms of Clyde Edwards Hilaire Because he's obviously a guy that everybody's excited about
1: I, I hate I feel like I'm I'm going to tell you that Christmas is cancelled And the Easter Bunny doesn't exist But he's just going to be too popular And too buzzy And I, don't, I can't get past the idea That I think Damian Williams is a good enough football player That he's not getting kicked to the curb And that Hilaire is going to be a cog On a team that has a lot of cogs I think he'll be good right away. I, I mean, When Andy Reid... Again, I filter out a lot of coach speak. But I think back to when Sean Payton was asked about, about um, Kamara his first year. And, and they, he was comparing him to somebody. I thought, oh, you compare him to Reggie Bush. And he compared him to Marshall Falk. I almost <laughs> drove off the road. And I'm thinking... Look, Sean Payton knows more football than I'll never know, but but I thought, why are you comparing anybody to Marshall Falk? And then I saw Kamara play, and I'm like, well, I can see where it came from. I still think Marshall is a little bit better than Kamara, but that whatever, Kamara's a terrific player. When they asked Andy Reid about um, Hilaire, and he and they said, oh, what about what about Brian Westbrook? Is that a good comp? And he goes, I think he's better than Brian. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, that was a drive off the road moment yeah. for me. Yeah. But unfortunately, everybody's hearing this stuff. And I mean, look, we uh, he, look. He played at LSU. You, you see him dump trucking three or four Alabama defenders. And you know, when you see some of these highlights, you you, you get in trouble with a highlight package. I spent one night with the CD Lamb highlight package, and I'm like, oh my god, this is Terrell Owens. Like, yeah, it's you know, the best 15 football player in Yeah. of course he's also playing with a really good offensive scheme and and he's played with two Heisman winners and another really good quarterback and and it's funny it it seems like every CD lamb touchdown is one of two things it's either a walk-in where nobody covered him or it's like one of these plays that looks dead at the 40 yard line and you're like he really scores on this play oh yeah I guess he does because that guy plays like every play like it's the last play of the game and they have to score or they lose man I, I I cannot say enough how much he's impressed me but in the case of Hilaire, I just think he's going to be too much of a fun buzzy pick and he's going to go a half round to a round earlier that I'm willing to pull the trigger. And so it, it's going to be no fun to sit it out, but I think I'm going to have to sit it out just because of the price.
0: Yeah, he's one of these guys that I I usually want to like make a point to try to buy during the season, but there's a risk in that, right? Because like I, I might not want to buy at the peak price when they're when when we're in draft season and everybody's excited, everybody's throwing the Brian Westbrook comp around. Like it's the, you know, like by by September, God willing, like everybody's going to have heard that like 300 times, you know? Right. So like he's not, it is going to be way, it's going to be a situation I think where he's way too expensive. Um, But he's a guy that at some point during the year could start paying off that price, but it's not, I don't think it's going to be over the course of the entire 2020 season. But of course, when you do that, you play with fire because not everybody's like Aaron Jones, where Aaron Jones has that, I think it was the 2018 season. Everybody's so excited about him, and he took forever to get going. So to the point that, like, because obviously there was a suspension, Jamal Williams is kicking around there. A lot of times when you try to do that, it it doesn't always work that way because they could hit the field right away, and he is this guy. Uh, So I, I agree I'm probably sitting out the early draft price but i don't i don't feel don't feel great about doing it. Um one last offense i want to hit is cleveland just because i think this is i think this offense like you talk about the group that we talked about earlier Devontae Adams, Alvin Kamara like super high on those two guys because the case for them is the exact same case going into 2019. I think you could look at this Cleveland offense and say like look at all these talents, like look at how good Baker Mayfield was at one point, like this coaching staff, this iteration of the coaching staff and this system with this play, these players, I think is a really good fit. But we also have the data last year, which was just, this was not a good team under any circumstances. And Baker Mayfield, you can still really like him as a long-term player, but there's really no getting around the fact that he was not good in 2019. And, And I think some of that's bad habits, whatever, but are you willing to buy in on a Browns
1: bounce back? Because
0: I, I think I kind of am.
1: I, I am too because it's all about the price. I mean, the, these guys were America's darling in 2019 and they got all these, all these primetime games, and you're seen as like a trendy playoff pick. And you know, they brought in Beckham, which, which didn't somehow Beckham played 16 games. I know he wasn't healthy for a decent amount of them, and then he had that core surgery. In January, and we'll we'll see you know what shape he's in when they actually start running routes again. But even if this is how talented this team is, even if you told me Beckham was hurt or didn't want to play or something, I'd still say, well, they they still have Kareem Hunt, and they still have Nick Chubb, and they still have Jarvis Landry, and they brought they brought in a tight end I, I really like, and Austin Hooper, and there's so much talent on this freaking team, and and Mayfield, you know. Heisman Trophy winner, played really well in a, in a un, almost untenable situation his rookie season yep. with a coaching Rope, staff. Broke the rookie liked. touchdown
0: record. Like,
1: right. I, man, it's, this is time to go buy some of these guys. I, I, I think Jarvis Landry has been a good value his entire career. I, I know they couldn't solve the, the Chubb thing at the, at the goal line last year, and part of that was play calling. Part of that was the offensive line. Maybe Chubb needs to be a little bit more decisive. And look, he's going to give up some of the receiving to Hunt, because Hunt's such a good receiver. Although Chubb from what I see in the raw stats, it wasn't a bad receiver either. I think Hunt's better in that role. But, you know, you can have two backs in the NFL now. The, as long as no third back steps forward, I don't I don't see a big problem if they're like a 65-35 or a 60-40. I'm still going to want Chubb, and I'll even maybe get flexy with Hunt at times. There's so much talent here, and now the pressure's off. You know, they're not expected to be a playoff team anymore, and they can kind of play the underdog role. They can play a little bit looser. Finally, the, coach, the coaching carcass of, of Freddie Kitchens is gone. They're, they're completely removed from the Hugh Jackson era. So I think it's a great time for Cleveland to sneak up on people. And there's a lot of – I think almost everybody in this offense – Beckham's the one guy I, I, get, I struggle with, yeah. but and I know how talented he is. But I think almost everybody else in this offense is going right now at a price where my eyebrows instantly go up.
0: Yeah, I mean – like I've looked at both of Landry and Beckham for reception perception. And like my clear takeaway with Beckham is, you know, I I just think the guy wasn't healthy all last year. Like Mm -hmm. that's the only explanation for how poor he performed last year from like a route running perspective. Cause like not only is he one of the most like pure explosive players in the league, he's also an incredibly detailed, like technician does everything well, like at least has throughout his career. And I just think it was just clear. He wasn't, as quick as he usually was last year. Beckham is still, he's around like wide receiver 11 right now in consensus rankings. Like that could be a discount. It could also be the peak price, you know, because like, I think you have to ask yourself the question, like when is, when is it too much in terms of like lower body injuries? Because that's been a thing throughout his entire career. Um, but Landry though, like I, I agree with your take on Landry. He's a guy who I think he like last year. I think it was his best season from like just an individual play perspective. He's also someone that I think can really tell the story well of the fact that this was not a well-coached team and it wasn't a team that they all liked this head coach either. Like he's been pretty, I think, open about that. Like no, no real subtlety there. And I like, I like Kevin Stefanski. Maybe, maybe he's not like a great head coach or whatever, but I like the way he calls plays. You know, I love, I love what they did last year in minnesota in terms of i think they were a little over committed to the run but i think that comes from the head coach on down but like the way they used to play action the way they got kirk cousins some layup targets um i i think the way they run the ball is is, is i i like what stefanski does and i think that having him i think that fits baker mayfield really well so i'm with you i think this is a bounce back offense and of course we we did bury the lead of the fact that uh, they did re-sign richard higgins uh to be their third receiver so <laughs>
1: Well, if I play any preseason DFS, I'll be ready for that.
0: Yeah, exactly. There we go. Um, Let's just hit this real quick because it is kind of like you said, it's the news cycle of the week. And you wrote a piece about the NFL schedule dropping last week. Um, I know you were pretty stringent about how you evaluate strength of schedule. Kind of lay that out for us.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not the first person to say this. I know um, Warren Sharp's been all over this uh, for years, and I know T.J. Hernandez has talked about this for a long time, and a lot of people in fantasy football uh, industry understand this. Don't don't look at what the wins and losses were of a team schedule the previous season. That, that that doesn't matter. Go with something. <laughs> where where can we get somewhat of a of a structured market on this type of stuff? Go to Vegas, go to Betg MGM tied with Yahoo, get a a promotion if you're you're in a state where you can legally bet with them. Just look at their totals. Look at their win totals and then plug them into a team schedule and that will give you an idea of Mm -hmm. who's got an easier or a harder schedule on paper. And then keep in mind, we don't know in November and December who's going to be healthy who's going to be not remember if we were having this podcast a year ago we would have been talking about the Browns like they were you know 10 and 6 and 11 and 5 already or at least a winning team and that totally right. fell apart I, you know, I don't think anybody had the 49ers going to the Super Bowl I mean this the, the NFL is a snow globe league this is probably going to be about a third of the teams do about what they expect and then you know maybe a you know a third of the team surprised a third of the teams let us down there's just so much change injuries are going to take take place and then schemes are going to work or not work and when you play a team sometimes really matters you know a lot of times Belichick's teams have gotten better as the season has gone along even the last year that wasn't the case you know a positional change a quarterback change look what the Titans did after they got rid of Mariota and they, they moved to Tannehill although a lot of that wasn't Tannehill but he did play really well I'm going to look at the schedule and I'm going to say okay who gets off to a schedule I like uh, when I'm picking my defense in the final round of my draft or off waivers, I'm going to look at the first week schedule, the first two weeks. That's it. I don't care. Um, I'm generally going to ignore those bye weeks. It's nice if you can get a bye week. I, I think Green Bay and Detroit share the same bye week. They're only teams on bye that week. That will give you more flexibility. I might, maybe that pushes me to Matt Stafford in the best ball league because it gives me a lot of freedom elsewhere, stuff like that. But. You know, generally i wrote about the schedules. it's fun and, and and you know okay breeze and brady and are playing first week that's fun and you know where are the baltimore games where are the kansas city games where are the seattle games you know the teams i like to watch play yeah I, i'm getting excited about stuff like that you know, who's playing on thanksgiving that type of thing we get another raven Steelers game on thanksgiving it feels like they they play every thanksgiving or every every sunday night there's <laughs> a Ravens Steelers game but whatever it's a great rivalry and i'll look forward to that and, and by the way the ravens man i I got to figure this is the year they get over the hump. This is not a hot take either, but I, I think they're due. Just to they have set a deep roster. I love the way they drafted, and I know maybe we'll talk about their backfield later. But um, yeah, I, to me, the schedule look ahead. It was mostly for fun. Mostly where are the buys. Who has really good early schedule? As far as the overall strength of it, uh, when TJ Hernandez ran it through the the over unders, I think that the worst schedule was a average opponent win of like eight and a half or 8.7 or something like that the easiest schedule might have been like 7.3 7.4 average win over under opponent that's not that big of a difference this is one of those things where it's like yeah it's nice to know the data but the you really want to only want to use it on the extremes and most of the teams are going to kind of cluster together bottom line it's a tiebreaker if you never use strength of schedule especially like december and november strength of schedule i actually think you'd be better off that way versus making errors of commission with the strength of schedule.
0: Yeah. I like the way you sum that up there at the end. Like, I think again, it, we talked about it at the top, but it can be something of a tiebreaker uh, just so you people know that graph that you're mentioning uh, from TJ Hernandez. And you guys can find this on Scott's uh, Twitter. Uh, I think like, obviously the Colts, lions, Titans, uh, the bears and the Browns are the top five in terms of lowest average opponent wins. And I think there's inter- I think there's some interesting teams there. We talked. We just talked about Cleveland, and I think Chicago's interesting in terms of like what you know. What are we? What are we buying there? And then when you look at the other end of it, the five hardest are Atlanta, the Giants, the Jets. Ugh, great, the Jets, uh, the, Jets. <laughs> the Raiders, and the Broncos. And I think the Broncos are interesting because they're a team that there's a lot of intrigue around uh i just drafted drew Locke in a super flex dynasty like felt and i got him super cheap and i felt pretty great about it because i i love just love the weapons around him so much and you know even if i wasn't the biggest fan of him coming out i'm like this guy if he's if he hits this is such a cheap like young quarterback for years to come
1: what what else could he possibly ask them to get him He's yeah, got Cortland right. Sutton well, stud. Maybe a, Jared... maybe
0: a better left tackle. Like Okay, uh, yeah, okay. You're yeah, right. I, I, you're, the line I, could be better. I, I always come back to this quote from uh one of my favorite from last year's football season. Uh, you know, you think of what you want about Michael Lombardi, but I did I did enjoy this line that he's like, you might as well put a damn Pepsi machine out there, because at least a Pepsi machine, people gotta run around it and it won't get a holding call on it. And that was better than whatever Garrett Bowles is doing.
1: Right, yeah, and you'll you'll get some some change from it at the end of the season. <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, I respect Lombardi. He's been in the league for so long. Not to mention just just being in Bill Belichick's presence, it hasn't always helped with his coaching tree. But um, you know, Lombardi's been in a lot of meetings, wearing wearing those awful. Watch that Cleveland '93 documentary sometime, and you see Lombardi wearing like he's wearing like the Christmas ugly sweater every day of the season. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> awesome. Um, but no, he's, he's um, I always I'm always interested in his take, and he's he's been in the league for such a long time. I mean, you have to respect that. But um, Sutton, stud. Judy stud all last year while realizing Noah Fant wasn't initially playable. I was saying to myself, draft this guy next year, draft this guy next year, draft this guy next year. I've always liked Philip Lindsay. I still think Gordon has something left in the tank. They drafted another move tight end. The defense is still really good. I mean, if, if drew lock, if drew lock isn't good this season, it's, it's not, it's not going to be the fault of, you know, you say what you want about Elway, the executive, and there's been a lot of critical things you could say about LA. The executive, but man, they have given Drew Locke every chance to succeed. I'm still not mm-hmm. sure, like you are, if Drew Locke's that good, but I'm not sure if it matters. Yeah, and it's funny, you look around the league, I'm not the hugest Teddy Bridgewater guy, but I see a Carolina defense that's young, that's probably going to struggle early. Yep, I see McCaffrey, I see Moore, I see Samuel, I see Robbie Anderson, I see even Ian Thomas, who I think has some interesting upside. And I'm like, I don't know if, if Bridgewater has to be that good. I mean, last year they had. Two quarterbacks, one who was hurt, one who just wasn't any good, and still a, a bunch of guys had great fantasy seasons there. I know Samuel didn't have the year we wanted, but I mean he still shows a lot of promise. Uh, that team is interesting to me, and you know Tennessee is interesting to me. I, I know everybody knows there's going to be a regression with Tannehill, but they kept the offensive coordinator. AJ Brown is is now entrenched in this offense. Johnny Johnny Smith is still really young and can do a lot of things right. I know Derrick Henry isn't maybe an ideal three three down back, but he's a man. That guy is just dump trucks. People, I, really good offensive line. They drafted an offensive lineman early. I don't think it's a good division. I think the Titans are going to be a playoff team again, and, and I think it's, it's actually a really good place to invest. What you're going to have to pay up for Henry. You're going to have to pay up for for AJ Brown, and, and I'm willing to do it with, with AJ Brown for sure. Jonu Smith is a guy on that offense I'm really curious about because I don't think you're gonna. I think he he'll be drafted probably tight end 15 something like that and i think he could easily be like a top seven top eight tight end
0: i i love that take also another uh, young guy that i just got as my tight end too in this dynasty draft that i'm nice. doing right now so he's uh, super cheap love him uh always been a big fan of his game and i that is the one because yeah like we can sit here and say like tennessee's the spot to invest and i agree with you because also they're a continuity team as well you mentioned they bring the offensive coordinator back and like they're a team that also knows their identity really well. It's just the, the tough thing is like I think Henry's expensive, Brown's expensive. But if I'm like drafting, depending on how we feel about uh, the early part of his schedule, I, obviously they, they've got a decent schedule here. Like the, Tannehill's a great like QB two. Uh, I think he's a, he could be your streaming quarterback answer as a guy, just like he was last year. You, you pick him up. You w- just hope you're going to stream him a couple weeks and he ends up being a guy you could play the rest of the way. And then Smith is a guy I'm definitely
1: buying late in draft. So that's a, that's a good pull there. And, and you know, Tannehill remember first round pedigree early in his career. He actually had a couple of good seasons. It's always been a fun parlor game. You know, who are the best AFC East quarterbacks not named Tom Brady, the last 20 years, you get to Ryan Tannehill pretty quick.
0: Like pretty close. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's after Pennington, he might be the third or fourth choice. You know, Mark Sanchez, you have to think about, I know it's an ugly crawl through. It's like the Shawshank 500 yards of of crap, but he was hurt a lot. He was Adam Gaste a lot. The guy is athletic. He's not afraid to run around the goal line. I think he'll probably, you could project two to four rushing touchdowns, maybe 150, 200 rushing yards. I think Tannehill is going to have, I think he'll be, A little bit better than league average this year. Last year is going to be his career year. I don't think anybody disputes that. But I think a lot of people, when they see a career year come out of nowhere, they get mad and they want it to like they want like mean regression. They want Ryan Tannehill to stink again because they didn't think anything of him before the season. I think Ryan Tannehill is still going to be a quality player. And again, I have this team in the playoffs. And I'm going to. I believe in Arthur Smith. I believe in the pieces here. I don't like the division at all. Yeah. I think they're going. I think they're actually going to sneak up on people again. I know this sounds crazy because they beat Baltimore in the playoffs. What ten minutes ago? But I, I think they're still a little bit underrepped Yeah, and and
0: also uh, like I think I said this to Dalton on the last podcast that I was on. Uh, You know, we can talk about Tannehill regressing or Tannehill having a career year. Well, his career year involved him being in, in terms of like full season starters, being right up there in terms of like first and completion percentage mm. yards, adjusted yards per attempt, like passer rating like he was. If that's his career year, I think that's. Good, uh, But I think that is going to do it for us uh, this week. We did make sure you go hit that schedule piece that Scott wrote. Uh, and you can, of course, follow him on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. We'll be back on Thursday. Liz and I are going to talk about something. I don't know. We'll figure it football. out. By yeah, we'll talk about football. We'll talk about players and all that good stuff. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to Box In While you're at it, there are new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I have another one upcoming that I've got to tape tomorrow. It's going to be pretty fun. Uh, But while you're waiting around for all of that audio content, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, and that's at Scott Pianowski. At Scott underscore Pianowski, like I mentioned, we're out of here. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.